everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the Communications Coordinator at High Point Church. Before we get started, we want to let you know that all four blog posts on Fighting for Devotional Time are now published at hpcmadison.com. So go check them out to help you use this lockdown to be intentional in your time with God. In this episode, we'll hear Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, and Jill Reese, who is on staff, cover some questions that we've gotten from you about whether the COVID-19 cure is worse than the disease and how we should think through the relationship between politics and our faith. As a side note, we are now recording these podcasts remotely from our homes, so you may hear the occasional random interruption, but we'll do our best to eliminate the possible sources. If you have any questions or feedback, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. This is Jill. I'm here with Nick. Um, We're going to be doing some podcasts related to the COVID-19 situation to hopefully not only provide you with some positive things to think about through this time, but truthful things to think through Um, because there's a lot to sort out in our minds about what's right and wrong and um, what's going on and fear and faith. And yeah, Yeah, there's a lot to sort out. The podcast, we won't have only COVID-19 episodes. Hopefully that's obvious, but Mm -hmm. along the way, we actually are getting a number of questions and people are Mm -hmm. interested in things and they don't know how to reflect on them as Christians. And so we're trying to supply some, some guidance into that vacuum. Yep. So we've got a number of questions, three questions we're going to cover today that sort of fit together. Um, So let's just dive right in. Um, The first one um, is and the second one too, are about how, um, are if the cure for this disease and all the preventions we're putting up around it are worse than actually the disease. So I'm mm-hmm. going to read part of this person's question. Um, he said, I just can't shake the feeling that there is something seriously off in our response to the coronavirus, though I can't put my finger on it. We just shut down churches, Christian schools, and a huge chunk of civil society faster and more completely than any dictator ever did. Don't get me wrong, I think it was the right choice, but this is a scary precedent. Um, at some point, the cure is going to be worse than the disease. Consider a 12-month shutdown. What would happen to churches and the faith of millions if believers didn't meet for a year? How many small businesses would close, and how much would the welfare state grow? How much would suicide and depression spike? And at base, how unhuman is this? Yeah. Yeah, you, you could see this. I've heard a number of people ask, I had a phone call, like a 40 minute phone call with a business owner and somebody involved in statewide politics mm-hmm. a couple of days ago who said the effect that, that A, there may be more loss of life this way than mm-hmm. the other way. Um, because taking people out of school, kids out of school, taking people out of work, these sorts of things are actually profoundly unhealthy for people and they're extreme, ex- extremely destructive to the extremely intricate system of the economy mm-hmm. because the economy is built on all these very intricate and long sort of lo- like it took a long time to develop all these sort of intricate relationships by which people buy and sell and share and, and enrich each other's lives. When you break that all down and everybody starts looking for something else and people start scaring and people get laid off and they look for other jobs, you get an enormous amount of sifting in the economy and an enormous amount of creative destruction mm-hmm. and, and an enormous amount of not creative destruction, just flat destruction. And it is going to be enormously destructive. Yeah. And one of the things the first email said that, both this phone conversation and this email got to was, I don't hear much about cost benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. I mostly just hear about saving lives. But the fact right. is, is that in a nation of 350 million people or a state of 5 million people, 
There is no such thing as just saving lives in a situation like mm-hmm. this. There, it's always a cost-benefit analysis between different different evils and different goods and which are more direct and which are more diffuse, right? So like s- s- putting everybody in their house so that fewer people die of COVID-19 is the direct approach. We know what that's preventing. We know what the result will be, right? What we don't know is everything else. Right. And that everything else it's the political precedent. It's really so. So, for example, I've had a, f- a few business owners say to me, "In two months, I won't have a business. Mm-hmm. I just thought I won't have a business." Right. Now, there, there may be some hope that the government may supply money there, but mm-hmm. then the question is: Okay, wait. If the United States economy drops out for a couple of months, so the government actually isn't getting tax receipts. And yet then it stimulates the economy, so to speak, by giving all these people and small businesses money, right? Mm -hmm. Our deficit spending dramatically increases. The nation's already careening towards bankruptcy, right? Like it gets worse and worse and worse. And of course, tax receipts next year, like I don't, you know, whether or not Trump is right about what's called pent up economic demand. So like if you can't buy for a while and then when you can buy again, people are like, oh, I can buy again. They go out and buy stuff. Well, if they haven't been getting an income, I'm not sure that the demand is going to be that pent up, right? And right. also if manufacturing is halted, it's you don't have a lot of supply that's pent up either. So the I I think that sometimes some people are looking um one of the things that's fundamental to leadership is that you have to think about the whole picture, right? Like if mm-hmm. you're a doctor, it's not your job to think about the whole picture. It's mm-hmm. your job to think about how to make patients better. That's your job. Right? If you're a hospital administrator, it's thinking about the whole hospital, right? It's like are we going to have enough people employed? Do we have enough beds? Right. Like you're looking broader than the doctor or you should be Mm -hmm. the governor or the mayor or the president. It's their job to look much wider, even still the global implications, what's going to happen to the whole economy. What happens 25 years from now? How does this affect the national debt? Mm -hmm. Are we going to have an economy in 12 months? Do we have to let this disease run its course at some point? Right. Um, Right. Cause what's going to happen when we all come out? Will it just of our houses? It might we might just all get sick again. Can can we really be so confined that the disease fully goes away? And right, that seems that seems relatively unlikely. We'll have I guess we'll Mm -hmm. have to see. You know, maybe maybe it's possible, right? So, um, yeah, and so there are there's a lot of issues in question. So for for example, if um, we stay shut down for two months. Let's look at it just from a Christian perspective and the unintended consequences from a Christian perspective. Okay. Most churches have no savings. And mm-hmm. so they survive week to week. If they have one week where they don't have services, like because of a snow day or something, there's just too much snow or whatever, the, many churches will go into the red for the year in terms of real spending. Now, what if you have eight of those weeks? Right. There's, mm-hmm. I think there's a certain percentage of churches in America that are, that are going to close. Yeah. Um, or they will be irreparably behind in their mortgages or their pastors will have to go find something else to do. Or, mm-hmm. or there may be a number of churches where the pastors have to go by vocational, where they'll have to get a job to support themselves because mm-hmm. the church won't financially be able to support them. Well, I mean, there's, that's a noble thing in one sense, but in another sense, um, that church will never be the same. There's a huge mm-hmm. difference between somebody who's can f- full-time shepherd the flock and somebody who can't. Mm-hmm. I've seen it a, a many times. So, um, and, and then there's the whole issue of the scattering of the flock, right? So mm-hmm. people aren't meeting. 
Well, it's fine. The people who are connected and who are willing to watch a, a live cast or whatever, those people will stay connected. But there's mm-hmm. a whole portion of the church, somewhere between, I don't know, a 20th of the church and a third of the church in most cases, probably, that are just not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, those and those people that may that for many of those people that is going to begin a process of wandering that right. wandering may last three months that may last the rest of their lives no mm-hmm. one can know that and Christians believe that being lost spiritually is a bigger deal than being lost physically than losing your life even to a disease right mm-hmm. um, we, we believe that eternal life and spiritual life is more important and profoundly more important mm-hmm. right now we wouldn't necessarily force that on other people in relationship to our political philosophy and what we should do legally, right? If people are like, look, the most important thing is to save lives. We're not gonna be like, well, no, actually it's souls. And so let's just do whatever people die, whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that's not true. But Christians in our, in our fundamental personal belief in terms of what we think is spiritually true is that souls matter. Like, because souls yeah. are holistic. That is the whole self. Mm-hmm. And s- spiritual redemption is the most important thing, right? Well, there are significant negative consequences to, sh- to scattering the flock and destroying our personal ability to connect with each other um, in a direct way and to do things that we were created to do like work and um, yeah, not only just yes. see, be around people, but to work and to go out and produce and to cause flourishing that all yeah. feels very disconnected right now. Even if you're working from your home, you're not as much so seeing the direct result of your work anymore yeah. either. Yeah, I would so, say yeah. that's a third whole area, which yeah, which yeah. is the what the this first emailer said, which to what extent does this at some point become inhuman? Right. Right, where humans can't function the way human beings healthily function. What right. and part of the fear too is I and I I know something about this author's background. One of the concerns is that one view of human society that a lot of Christians hold that I hold this pretty pretty closely myself is that healthy human societies have to have robust what's called civil societies, which is civil societies, everything between the individual and the government, mm-hmm. specifically the, the federal government, but the government. So, so the family, all businesses, volunteer organizations, churches, all that stuff are, are mm-hmm. civil is civil society. That is their voluntary ways we organize ourselves. Nobody coerces us to do it. We do it because of our beliefs and our incentives, Right. And so mm-hmm. it's not like government that could put a gun to your head and tell you what to do. And it's not like government right. where 51% of people can pee in the cornflakes of 49% of the people where there's a tyranny of, because even, even democracy has, is, is tyrannical, right? Even democracy, 51% tyrannize 49%. Mm-hmm. Every form of government is tyrannical in that sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And so civil society is a place without, it's supposed to be a place without tyranny. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a place where everybody can choose their relations and in what relations they engage in. And so a lot of Christians have believed, and I think Christians actually should believe, I think it's a wise political philosophy, that civil society should be as large and robust as possible. That the, that as much human life is within that circle, the circle of civil society, as possible. Which is both anti-individualistic, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's between the individual and the government. So it's anti-individualistic because the, the individual has to come into civil society and relate to other people in these voluntary ways. But it's also anti-government control-ish, right? Mm-hmm. Where the government is sit, well, we'll take care of you. There's, there was a famous commercial um, under the Obama administration about this woman who went through life and all of her needs were provided by the government. Like she, she had a child, but never a husband. And the government provided for her healthcare. The government provided for her 
you know, mm-hmm. helped, helped her with her job, gave her money for this, did that for her, did this for her. And her whole life was, was slated kind of in its relationship to the federal government. And there were some people that were like, oh, that's so encouraging. Other people like, that is the worst vision of the future I can possibly imagine. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, th- I think that there's some truth to that. Like on, on one level, you can see the usefulness and utility in like welfare state program kind of things. But in another sense, it eviscerates civil society, which is not a good thing. How, how do, what do we do with this now that we are disconnected and we are, we are in our homes, which is like these, we're within these institutions of the family and, but we're also disconnected and that's government controlled now even more. Um, yeah. I th- yeah, I think I think what I'm wondering is what do we do with the the system has been all shaken up and in one sense we are at home more and in in these civil societies more. Or is that right? Well, in the which in people's homes they're they're relating in families, they are in a form of civil society, yeah. Yes. But but, but, the, but it's government larger, enforced. The, yeah, the larger organizations of civil society are being profoundly broken down right now. The economic ones, right? And, uh, social ones. So, how? What do we do as Christians? First of all, to not feel like this. In hearing you talk about this, there's just the sense of doom, because yeah. it will not be good. Well, um, but yeah, we don't know how bad it will be, but right. it won't be good, probably. Right. Civil, so, civil society is difficult to build up. And when it right. breaks down, it's hard to fix. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that I think sometimes government planners or individualists don't understand. And I say government planners and individualists intentionally because one of the fallacies of conservative politics that tend to be Republican politics is kind of a worship of individualism. For conservatives, it tends to be the rugged individualism. I'll take care of myself. You take care of yourself. And I should be able to do whatever I want. There's a liberal version of that progressively like i should do whatever I, I want sexually and be able to define myself however i want both of those are forms of radical individualism just a conservative republican and democrat version right mm-hmm. and then there's a big government version what the government should do in its power but le- but one of the things that that neither individualists nor governmentalists seem to understand is that the lifeblood of healthy society is in civil society and that when it breaks down, it's hard to rebuild. So you, we can see this mm-hmm. in problems in the family, right? Um, a lot of problems in the family were produced by actions of our larger society or changes in how individuals comported themselves, right? So marriage suffered greatly when the consumer society developed, right? And people mm-hmm. made personal choices that they wanted to be consumers and not just responsible to others. But then also as the government did certain things, it that also broke down families, whether that was with the government enforcing Jim Crow and segregation against black families. But mm-hmm. m- I think more destructively than that, the, the, the institution of the welfare state, I think it was enormously destructive to um, African-American families, for example, before the welfare state, um, mm-hmm. a, a black child was more likely to have a father and mother in the, in the house than white families. Mm-hmm. And after the welfare state, it wasn't now, now there's a lot of reasons for that, which involve um, black migration and, the Vietnam war and men returning from that and Mm -hmm. increasing incarceration because we wanted to get, because the government wanted to get crime rates down. They incarcerated a lot more African-American men, but when they did so they left a lot more African-American kids without dads. So like again, government cost benefit relationships. Right. And so Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of problems. And so a healthy government, a lot of Christians believe um, would leave civil society as alone as it possibly can. 
mm-hmm. would allow as much good in human life to be done through civil society as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to think that that, it, that tends to be healthier and that also tends to be better for human beings, right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I think, so I think for the Christian, I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is what our government do, is doing is definitely wrong right now. Mm-hmm. I think I, I agree somewhat with this, with the emailer who said, I'm not saying it's wrong. In fact, I think in some sense, our government response is correct. I don't know. Right. But the, it doesn't seem like people are, are grappling with the destructive nature of this cure. Like this is a very destructive mm-hmm. cure. Now, mm-hmm. is it the least destructive cure? Maybe, maybe it's the least destructive cure, right? Maybe this is all we can do. Maybe mm-hmm. it's the best thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe our government officials are absolutely right to the extent to which mm-hmm. they even agree. But I don't think we should pretend that we're not taking a cure that has major side effects. Right. This this medicine has major side effects. And also we need to think, it's it's also kind of like somebody recovering from a surgery by laying in a hospital bed for six months. Like mm-hmm. we're not going to be nimble when we get up. Right. Mm-hmm. And the destruction of all that is going to be pretty profound. Now we can mitigate that some by increasing debt massively as a nation. But that has its consequences too, because mm-hmm. our country is already massively in debt with enormous, what's called, what are called unfunded liabilities, which is money we've promised to people we can never pay them. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Almost the entire, almost the entire pension system of America is unf- unfunded liability. We don't have, I mean, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know how many people know this, but about half of our government spending on the federal level is unfunded. Mm-hmm. It's called deficit spending, but basically it's like we, if, if to put it in terms of like, we, we get $1, we take in $1 a year or for every $1 a year we take in in taxes, we spend $2 a year as a government. Mm-hmm. You just, you just think about that, right? right. Now we're going to, now we're going to lose most of that $1 that comes in and we're going to spend $3 out. Like there's huge consequences that I think people don't often think through. Mm-hmm. Right, money is par- right. is a limitation on the good we can do, and we are stealing from future generations the good they can choose to do. Mm-hmm. Right, so there. I mean, I, we may be doing the right thing, but I think every Christian should be re- should be reasonable and wise in relationship to that. This is this is not as simple as right. just the medical question. It's much broader than that. It, this is much more destructive than that and it's okay it's okay for people to even disagree right because because our government is the is the ruling authority mm-hmm. and we're gonna have to do what they say relative to rights and some other things right mm-hmm. and so i don't have to agree with the decision of our governor to put us all on like home lockdown right. i can think it's wrong and i can say it's wrong if i think so i don't necessarily think so but i could say that but i think i think christians should, shouldn't be like oh this is great well right it might be correct it's mm-hmm. not great. Mm-hmm. And, but that might also be true the other way. If the governor was like, we're not going to do anything to stop this. Maybe that would be correct, but it wouldn't be great. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? And it, yes, it does make sense. Um, and for, I mean, for the Christian sitting at home right now, wondering what to do with all of this, I think in one sense um, we do the same things that we have before and not to be captured by fear to right. love our neighbor as much as we can given the circumstances in ways that not, not even as much as we can, but in ways that we can um, in given this circumstances right now and to yeah. work hard in ways that you can, even if you're unemployed right now to, f- 
to just work to work around your house and do any work that you can because you're made to work. So I think, mm-hmm. yeah, doing human to, things. I doing think is, human things. Yes. Yeah. 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 I th- yeah I, it, like exercising, not eating more um, than you do. Not being so focused on the screens in your house. You, like if in relationship to the civil society, the family. Mm-hmm. This is a great time to work on your family. Yeah. It's a great time to have family devotions. It's a great time to shut off the rectangles, you know, that bring videos to our lives and to like mm-hmm. play games together and walk outdoors and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And like now that it's spring, like there's probably a lot of yard work to be done and stuff like that mm-hmm. that you really can do without um, a lot of other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I also think relative to our public voice, like mm-hmm. some Christians use social media and things like that. I would say you can be positive without proclaiming the true goodness of this action or that action. So right. you could be supportive of our government mm-hmm. in, in having civil order during this mm-hmm. without being like, Oh, you know, president Trump is the best ever or the stupidest ever, or governor Evers is the best ever or the stupidest ever. Right. Mm-hmm. Governor Evers made a decision. He had to make one decision or another. This is what he chose. Okay. We're all going to have to live with it. We voted, right? right? He was elected. Now we're all going to have to live with whatever he does, whether it's great, then we're all going to get to live with it or whether it's bad, we're going to have to live with it. He didn't create this disease. Right. And so, but he has to make a decision. So, so we have to respond to that. And so as Christians, I like, I, I'm not thrilled with this. I think, it, I think it's this, this probably isn't the decision I would make, but I didn't talk to the same experts as him. Mm-hmm. I don't have access to the same information. So I have to believe that he is in a more qualified position at least, and maybe a more qualified person to make this decision. And so there's a certain amount of deference I have to give him in the structures of good and right authority. And Christians believe in the good and right authority of government. Government stinks, Mm -hmm. but anarchy's worse. Mm. Right. And so Christians are supposed to have that view towards a lot of things in the world. This thing stinks, but the alternative's worse. And government is the preeminent one. Government stinks, but anarchy's worse. The alternative Mm -hmm. is much worse. So I think it's important to recognize that we could be generally supportive or we can or we can be generally unsupportive. We can say, I don't think this is the right decision. But we don't have to abuse the governor or the president in times like this. We don't have to be uh, certainly abuse each other. You know, and we can try to work right. out our thinking together. I think it's perfectly fine for Christians to publicly say, I don't think this is good. Or mm-hmm. to publicly say, I think this is probably good. But I think being careful about what we are competent and not competent to understand mm-hmm. and have a right view of authorities. You know, some people think that in order to obey Governor Evers, for example, in the state of Wisconsin, we have to agree with him. That's not true. It's never been true. Mm-hmm. Christians don't believe that. Christians don't believe that in order to obey, you have to agree. Right. Christians are supposed to, you know, the Bible has a very strong teaching of right authority. Mm-hmm. Right. There, there's, there is a hierarchy to most things in the way humans organize themselves. Whenever humans organize themselves, there's some kind of hierarchy that emerges. Even in places that are like, we don't have hierarchy, there's always a hierarchy. It's just a, mm-hmm. it's just a charismatic hierarchy rather than a formal one or whatever, but there's always a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And so human life works much better in hierarchy because it gets stuff done. It's well organized. People are properly protected much better and so on. Mm-hmm. It has liabilities, right? And so Christians can be mm-hmm. like, look, I believe in the right authority of the government. This is what Tony Evers said. Mm-hmm. I support our governor. That's all there is to it. I, but you can say, I have some doubts about his decision. I hope that we can reconsider through the public process and so on. Does that make sense? Yes. So yeah. I think so I, so I think our attitudes on social media and as we talk to each other are important. I think you're mm-hmm. right that behaving as humans is important. You know, mm-hmm. go to bed at a good time, wake up at a good time, give mm-hmm. some order to your life, engage in physical work whenever possible, 
invested relationships and use virtual means to do it. Limit your video game playing in your screen time. Make sure you're moving your body. Read things off of a page to mm-hmm. engage and sharpen your mind during this time. Right. right? There's lots of stuff like that. Can, and be careful with your money as best you can. Um, mm-hmm. And if you can be generous to help others and mm-hmm. then engage in structures of civil society to the extent to which you can through virtual means, financial means right. or whatever personal means. Mm-hmm. So, you know, go to your church's live stream, mm-hmm. you know, list your church's podcasts, talk to people on video chats and so on. Mm-hmm. Yep. As you were talking about government, I was thinking about how the Bible has a lot to say about, especially the epistles, um, Paul's letters has a lot to say about um, respecting authority and government authority and how to do that in a tricky situation because this was never easy for Christians in the Bible and throughout most of history. And um, Paul was also in imprisoned in a, in a home um, for a while, imprisoned in prison as well. But, and yeah. this is very different from that, of course, but also his attitude is one that we can hopefully embody as well. So there's some yeah. The book of Acts ends with Paul under house arrest, where he can't leave his home. Yeah, yeah. For different reasons, yeah, but it's true. So, um, let's shift to the other question. We got more. We got some feedback about a uh, email we sent out about voting and still being engaged in voting during this time, and not to forget about that. And we got some feedback from that, and so. Um, yeah, yeah Nick, well, I'll give some context to it. Yeah. yeah. So we encourage people to do a few things. One is to not forget about our political responsibilities because mm-hmm. voting was upcoming. Two, we gave instructions for where people could go to sign up for absentee ballots. And three, we sent people to a website, Wisconsin Family Council, I think is what it was, um, to say, hey, if you want to learn more about the Supreme Court justice race, you can at this website. Now, the reason I okayed this, and it was the third thing that people complained about. People didn't complain about the first two things. And I, I think those are not controversial. Most Christians accept that voting is a good thing that we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I have some nuance with that because I think if you have no idea what you're voting for and have no idea what good government is and you are an incompetent voter, I have some questions about whether you should vote or whether mm-hmm. you should find – what I think you should do is you should vote and you should find somebody who you really respect their understanding of government and how it works mm-hmm. and therefore what we should be supportive of. And then you should like ask them who to vote for. Like I remember when I when there were a couple of people still in Madison that I was friends with, and I knew they just understood things better than I did. I I know a lot about politics, and I know a lot about um, government and how it should work from a classical perspective and a, and a political science one. But I still would ask them who am I voting for this time, because in many cases it, it doesn't come down to the politics or the structure; it comes down to the person. And right. I don't think about the person really. Their campaign mm-hmm. is mainly decided designed to hide what they're really like, not show it. You know? Right. And so in many cases, especially in local politics, I'd be asking somebody I trust who I should vote for. I think that that's mm-hmm. probably what most voters ought to do, frankly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but relative to like who you should vote for in a, in a Supreme Court case, in a Supreme Court election like this, Wisconsin Family Council would be considered a conservative organization. Now, mm-hmm. Mike sent me a voter, like a voter guide that they put out and they try to put out as, as unbiased a voter guide as they can. But by looking at the voter guide, you can kind of tell who's on what side. 
And so if you have a side, you would know who to vote for, right? Mm-hmm. And so I okayed sending out that PDF document because as far as I could tell, it was pretty nonpartisan. You could tell that mm-hmm. the lady that's running is clearly on the left by everybody who endorses her. And the guy that's writing is clearly on the right by everybody who endorses him, right? Like one, mm-hmm. you know, one person's endorsed by like the NRA and the blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The other's endorsed right. by the AFL-CIO. And you're like, okay, I think we know where everybody stands here, right? Mm-hmm. Um However, um, what ended up happening in the email is we linked to the Wisconsin Family Council website, which is not nonpartisan. The voter guide was fairly nonpartisan, but Wisconsin Family Council is not nonpartisan because they're conservative in their political Mm -hmm. philosophy. So they're Christian, and then they unite that Christian worldview with with a judgment that a conservative political philosophy is the most Christian, that, that it comports with Christianity the best of the political philosophies. Right, that's a judgment. The Bible doesn't say, "Well, there's this progressivist view and this libertarian view and this conservative view and this liberal view, and the one that is most Christian is this." Like, you have to read the Bible and you have to balance a lot of things to come up with your political philosophy. And Christians actually come to different conclusions on that, right? And they believe that that conservative political philosophy is best, mainly because they focus on certain institutions like the family. Mm-hmm. So, if the the nuclear family or the nuclear family extended is you believe that is the foundational element of civil society and that everything done in government society should support the flourishing of the family. Then generally speaking, you tend to have conservative politics. That's not completely true. I know there's probably some people like, well, well, no, if you, because welfare is supposed to welfare stuff, which tends to be connected with, with liberal big L and progressive politics Mm -hmm. is meant to support families so that families can flourish, right? So you could argue that back and forth, but the focus on the structure of the family tends to be something that's focused on by these kinds of conservative groups. So when people read it, they're like, oh, this is a conservative group. So if you're a, if you're a liberal or a progressive in your ideology or a libertarian and you read that and you're like, oh, Nick and Mike and Lloyd, or maybe the whole church is for these conservative groups, we must be like a closet conservative church, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my my response, and, and so people were like, they objected to that. They're like, well, I'm a liberal and I go to High Point and I don't want to get conservative stuff and I don't want to hear mm-hmm. you supporting it, right? Okay, so I have a my I have two responses to that that I think are important. But do you want to redirect before I just keep going? Um, well, I was gonna I was gonna bring up some of the objections that yeah that might be helpful for people. We have okay yeah 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 so that's great. so. One of the objections in general was that churches shouldn't be political. Right. So do you want to talk about why that is or isn't true? Yeah. So let yeah. me say two things about that as quickly as okay. I can. The first is that, and and this was mainly observed in commentaries and theological writings by people on the political left. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, is that the Bible and Christianity and Christian figures were extremely political in their significance in their times. So Jesus mm-hmm. was murdered as a political criminal. Paul was killed as a political criminal, right? Now, neither of them would have said that they were primarily political in their ministries, right? But that's really not the question. The question is what you get punished as, mm-hmm. right? So, so in relationship right. to the government, Jesus was punished as a political criminal because the government decided he was a political criminal. Mm-hmm. The society decided he was a political entity. Paul was 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 punished many times and imprisoned many times and ultimately killed as a political criminal because you can say what you're saying isn't fundamentally political, but if the society decides it's political, it's political. Then it is. And so when Jesus says, I want to change all of humanity and the government says, I want to govern all of humanity, the government says, wait a second, you're getting in my domain. And Jesus says, no, 
give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. The government has a particular domain that it should function in and it should honor God. Mm-hmm. But I'm functioning in the domain that is God's, which is actually everything related to the human person. And politics mm-hmm. is a subset of everything related to the human person, right? And I'm talking mm-hmm. about the whole thing. And and the government said, no. Now, I think, so So A, Christianity has always had political implications. Judaism mm-hmm. was a political society. It has very strong implications about morality, which mm-hmm. every law a, a, a society has is rooted in some moral vision. So Christianity has a, a, a very profound moral vision and politics creates laws that govern people. And those laws are supposed to have a moral vision. So you can have mm-hmm. a profound conflict in moral visions that is political because the moral vision produces the laws, which is the substance of the politics. So mm-hmm. the idea that Christianity can be non-political, I think is false. I think, I think faiths that govern the whole of human salvation are by definition mm-hmm. going to be seen as political or they're mm-hmm. going to be like Islam explicitly and overtly political. And I would say Islam is different than Christianity in that Islam seeks as part of the religious faith itself to possess the political power. Mm-hmm. Christianity is different in that it assumes it will never have it. Right? Jesus right. assumes that those who follow him are going to be proportionately few. That, mm-hmm. that or the that majority it's, of, it's so we should assume that we won't have it. Right. Because I, if you yeah. assume you're always going to be a fundamental minority Right. In any society, how how are you going to control the government mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. doing something immoral? You're not. So you're mm-hmm. you're in a sense always going to be a minority. If that's the mm-hmm. case, then your relationship to politics is always going to be as a minority figure. With it, which is why Christianity in American politics has always been strange, because mm-hmm. we because that and in Christianized Europe as it was in in past centuries, that was a weird situation where it was assumed that society was Christian, and it was trying to work in a Christian political way in a religion that's founding documents never imagined it would be politically in control. Mm-hmm. And so fig- and so that's one of the reasons why you got a lot of Christian tyranny because there, w- there, w- there was no guidance for that. Does that make sense? Anyway, mm-hmm. The point yeah. is that, cr- that, cr- that Christian faith is going to be political if politics in a society is robust at all. And it w- certainly is going to be in a modern world with this much technology. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing is, the question is, um, not what is Christianity like, but what is our politics like, right? Mm-hmm. Is our our politics minimalist or expansive? So if mm-hmm. we lived in a world where we pay, so for example, in the time of the Civil War, um, in modern dollars, right? So in, in, in like, I think it'd be like 2015 American dollars, the total amount of taxes your family would have paid to the federal government would have been about $20, total for the whole year for everything the federal government does $20. Wow. Okay. Do you pay more than that to the government? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. Right. <laughs> so like in 1850, the significance in what counted as politics in America mm-hmm. was way more minimal than it is now. Right. You, you couldn't have political discussions like, like national political discussions in real time because you didn't have TV and radio. There wasn't even telegraph mm-hmm. in some cases and in many places in the country. And so you were existing in a, in a lifestyle that kept going on the way it did. And Washington was utterly remote. In China, there was this saying that like, heaven is high and the emperor is far away. Right? That like, yes, we have an emperor, but he doesn't really matter. We mm-hmm. pay some taxes. His armies are supposed to keep other armies from invading us, but that's pretty much it. Right? Mm-hmm. In a society like that, where politics isn't expansive, 
the conflict between politics and religion is minimal, right? Right. However, however, in a society in which people start to look to politics for for more and more and more and more and more, mm-hmm. more is considered political. And therefore, the conflict between the political and all things human related to the religious, that conflict or or overlap at least increases dramatically. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we live in a society right now where as people have become less religious in certain ways, they tend to have worshipped consumerism and the government more. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, there's a lots of ways on both the left and the right. People people sometimes refer to this as identity politics. But wider than identity politics is the idea that making the good world and making the good society and making the good life can be accomplished through the government. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the most important thing about you is what side you're on. That form of tribalism substitutes for the religious community. And mm-hmm. the belief that the government will take us providentially where we must go and like the Holy Spirit will be imminent in our lives when we need him and in the ways we need him is a substitute for God. In fact, I remember in like 1999 to 2002, we had friends at seminary, Bjorn and Ronve Mueller, and they were from uh, Norway. And they said, America is so interesting because you have to do things for yourself here. It's so weird. They're like, in hmm. Norway, the government just provides everything for you. And you pay most of your income in taxes and the government provides everything. And they're like, you don't like finding housing and like, like all these things that you have to do for yourself. It's so interesting. It's like, it's really, and they were like, it's really stretched our faith because hmm. we had to like figure it out ourselves and like hope God would help us and hope God would lead us. Right. And I was like, wow. Cause I don't feel that at all, you know, but that mm-hmm. was how they felt coming from a Norway's not technically socialist. It's a, it's a high welfare state. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you could see that if that functionally in human life, that mm-hmm. government substitutes for human risk and choice and mm-hmm. what humans are looking to to get them through, which is either God and, and civil society or government in many cases. Mm-hmm. So, the, uh, so the question for Christians as to, like if we could design a society, how big government would be would be an important question for us, right? right? Which is exactly what the founding fathers of America talked about. How, mm-hmm. What's big enough so that there's enough authority that it's not anarchy Mm-hmm. but not so much authority that it becomes tyranny and destroys the fabric of civil society. Right. Mm-hmm. And what they created was actually a, very, a, a government much less robust than the one we have now. Mm-hmm. And the question for us now is in the government that we're in is how captured are we by our political views in our, f- is our faith yeah. under our political views and does it, f- do we make it fit into our political views? Or are, is our faith determining how we, who we vote for, even if it differs party to party? So we've yeah, talked okay. about that on the podcast before, but. Yeah, before we yeah. get there, though, I'm, mm-hmm. I think you're right to redirect because, you know, my explanations can get kind of long in these things. But I want to make sure that people hear what I'm really saying here, because if mm-hmm. you're up, if you're a progressive, you might hear me say, oh, you see, Nick is against big government. Hmm. Right. And that's not what I'm saying. Mm hmm. I might say that given the right level of caveats. What I am saying is there's a difference between having a big government and having big politics, right? A big government is simply the administration of the government is large and it does Mm -hmm. a lot of things, right? That's different than big politics. Big politics is everything is political. Everything in human life is political, 
what kind mm-hmm. of shampoo you buy is political, right? Who your friends with is political. The kind of car you buy is political. What you do with your leisure is political, right? All that is, it's all political. That's what I object to. You, in, th- in theory, you could have mm-hmm. an enormously large government. If you had a world that was full of war, right? You could have a huge government and all they did was national defense and they did nothing else. You'd have a huge government, but you'd have a low level of everything is political. Mm-hmm. Nothing's political except war, right? Right. Or you could have a relatively small government. It's not very large, but mm-hmm. through social media and, and technology, it kind of controls the political discussion of everything. You mm-hmm. could have a small government where everything was political. What I'm saying is unhealthy and bad in relationship to the church having a political voice or a voice in the public is mm-hmm. when every is is big politics, not big government. Now, I yes, think the government has has other liabilities in terms of administratively standing in the place of God. Mm-hmm. But that's a different discussion, right? I think you can have a government so small that you have anarchy and and you could have the dominance of conglomerate corporations and stuff like that, which would be another form of mm-hmm. tyranny that the government wouldn't be structured to stop, right? So in mm-hmm. an era of very large companies, I think there has to be a robustness to government to mitigate some negative factors that could exist mm-hmm. there, right? That gets into a whole other conversation about economics and politics and government capture mm-hmm. and administrative capture and all that. Right. The point is, is that Christians should be, whether or not you're for big government, I think Christians should be against big politics. Mm-hmm. The political sphere of life should be relatively small. And we shouldn't confuse most topics with being political topics. They are human topics, spiritual topics, moral topics, economic topics before they're political topics. Mm-hmm. And I think it's better for somebody to err on the side of thinking everything is a Christian topic than to err on the side of believing everything is a political topic. Mm-hmm. Be- that makes be- sense. Beca- because when you believe everything's political, you believe everything's political, but also it becomes much more divisive because when everything's political, what matters most is which political tribe you belong to, who's in and who's out, who's up and who's down, mm-hmm. which is very unlovingly destructive to shared human society and unity mm-hmm. so that political discussions inside of a church can't happen. Mm-hmm. And what happens is our theology gets ruined by what you were referring to before, by what, what you can call political capture, where yeah. your, your, your spiritual faith in Christ isn't ordering your political worldview, but the, uh, it's actually happening the other way around. Your politics, because you so want to belong to the right tribe, is now determining what your Christian faith teaches and keeping you from seeing some things in the Bible while allowing you to see others. And so your mm-hmm. faith then becomes shaped by your political view rather than your political view and allegiance being shaped by your faith. And that because is the your politics, things. Because your politics have gotten too big. Is, is that what you're saying? Like yeah. that, Too that big in the happen. sense that everything is political. And then right. because you think that, you connect yourself with a political ideology. Mm-hmm. And then that political ideology begins to function religiously and begins to control what you believe religiously rather than your faith yes. in Christ and your theology determine what you believe about human life and therefore this, the limited political mm-hmm. sphere. Mm-hmm. But I think a Christian should as much believe things about what the political sphere should be like and how much should be political based on their Christian belief, not just what you should believe politically based on your Christian beliefs. Yes. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, that does make sense. Can I bring up another objection? Yeah. Okay. So, um, another objection that maybe isn't explicitly said this way, but would be that either progressive politics or conservative politics, depending on what side 
you tend toward are the politics of Jesus. So that belief and yeah. the objection in the face of hearing the other side of the other opposing belief of that. Yeah. I, I don't know if we can answer this question without the issue of media capture. Yeah. So there's two issues here. One is if Jesus was around today, which he is, but if he was incarnate today and could speak mm-hmm. to us physically, would he vote Democrat or Republican? Would he be a liberal or progressive, a libertarian? Would he be a technocratic? I mean, what would he be? What would he think? What, what could be? What should we be? Right? There's that question, and that Christians mm-hmm. actually disagree on that. And then there's the issue of the story we tell ourselves within our biased subcommunities. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you watch CNN and MSNBC or listen to NPR or most of the news media outlets that are profoundly progressive in all of their assumptions, it's pretty likely you're going to think that like Donald Trump is a borderline dictator. Mm-hmm. And so obviously your political judgment is like, whatever we have to do to stop that crazy man we need to do. Right. Mm-hmm. However, uh, objectively speaking from a historical perspective, like one of my minors is in American, American political history. Trump is one of the least actual dictatorial. He's a very dictatorial person. He's one of the most dictatorial persons that we've ever been able to observe publicly in the office. Obviously, we because we don't have social media stuff, we weren't able to observe many people mm-hmm. in public office. Like LBJ apparently right. was incredibly dictatorial. Richard Nixon, the Republican, very dictatorial person. And other presidents were less dictatorial, right? That's different than behaving as a dictator, mm-hmm. right? In relationship to using the executive branch in a muscular way, in a way that the the legislative branch or the judicial branch is supposed to function or the states are supposed to function, Trump is one of the least dictatorial presidents we've had in modern history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just based on what he's done, right? What he, he hasn't done executive orders that he had said beforehand were unconstitutional like Barack Obama did, for example. Um, he hasn't engaged in wars that were, that, that were like only marginally within his constitutional power like George W. Bush did. I mean, it's arguable that both George W. Bush and Barack Obama were more dictatorial in their actions than mm-hmm. President Trump, right? But Trump was is a way more dictatorial person publicly than President Obama or George Bush. Yeah, right? and that and is so, confusing because we all... Yeah, that distinction can yeah. be subtle. Right? Because we see more and more of our leaders' personalities through, as we have more and more technology and right. that virtual connection, we see more right. of what they act like, not the actions that they take. Does right. that make and sense? And also it's important yeah. to remember that America loves its dictator presidents. So if you if you go through American history and you look at our most dictator-like presidents, probably the most dictator-like president we've ever had in one sense was Abraham Lincoln. Right? Like the whole civil war is arguably unconstitutional. The martial mm-hmm. law that was exerted under Lincoln was actually my understanding was found unconstitutional. And there were a lot of things that Lincoln did to, to keep the, the nation one country and to end the, the practice of slavery that actually isn't constitutional under the American constitution. And a new jurisprudence had to be created in order to make that work. And he, in some things he just did them and worried about the constitution of the constitutionality of them later. And that's one of the reasons why we fought a war that was enormously bloody. Like Lincoln was, Quote, quote, he got to be right in his actions constitutionally because he won the war, right? Now, I, mm-hmm. I believe that, the re- and the reason Americans love that is because they believe he was right morally, right? Which mm-hmm. I agree with, right? They were, the institution of slavery was itself 
against the constitution of the basic moral order of the fabric of the universe. And because Lincoln stood on such strong moral grounds in that regard, acting what would have been is would have been considered politically immorally by subverting the constitution dictatorially was considered morally justified. That's a view. That's a view you can hold mm-hmm. it. And that is the that is the majority view in America, right? Mm-hmm. So so Lincoln's an enormously dictatorial president, and yet we're so glad he was, right? Same thing with Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was one of the most dictatorial presidents. He, he would say things like, we don't mind people. Like, this is literally a quote in one of the large museums in New York City. We don't mind a person being rich as long as they use their money the way we like. Like as long as they use their money with public spirit and do what is good for the nation and the government, then it's okay for them to be rich. Otherwise it's not, right? Teddy Roosevelt was one of the, was one of the original progressives. He did enormous land grabs out West, which I love. I love the di- the dictatorial nature of Teddy Roosevelt, the national park system, and some mm. of the stuff he did where he made the presidential office way more muscular than it ever was. Mm. Right? He he consolidated power in the executive branch because of his personality. He was just like a walking hurricane as a person. And because of that, there are a lot of things in America that people really like, right? Mm-hmm. If you actually look at Mount Rushmore, right? Two of the two of the four presidents are two of the most dictatorial presidents we've ever had. And I mean, Woodrow Wilson was, I mean, he literally cr- created a like an office of reporting people who didn't agree with the government and put them in prison. FDR, um, who people worship as the founder of the welfare state, um, very much admired Benito Mussolini and thought he was a fantastic national leader. And Mussolini admired him right back. Because he thought that the, that Mussolini, by using a robust executive power, could solve major modern problems through being able to have one person make one decision and avoid all the disruption of, of having legislatures and all these disagreements, all this separation mm-hmm. of powers, right? Um, which the founding fathers of America believed very strongly, and they didn't want the government to be able to do anything from the central power, right? And so that's we we call that being dictatorial, but like in another way, it's just how you believe societies function best. Do you want the central person to be able to make decisions and therefore solve problems robustly, but Mm -hmm. also make huge problems and create corruption robustly? Mm -hmm. Or do you want a separation of powers and to have a disruption of power from centralized government? It's a trade-off, right? So so Mm -hmm. I think Christians kind of get lost in all of that. They're just kind of like, I don't Mm -hmm. like this guy, or I do like this guy. And then Mm -hmm. depending on the media you listen to, to get back to media capture, right? If you listen to Fox News, it's decently like you you think these progressives are crazy people who are going to ruin the country. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to CNN and MSNBC and NPR and these other sort of left-wing groups, you're going to think that Trump is ruining the country and he's the worst thing that's ever happened to America and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to talk to other people like that's true when Mm -hmm. it's really your tribe's narrative. Yeah, so it's both subjective. As we discern the humans in leadership, it's both subjective and insular. More, And it's more and more insular than it has been. And you would never know before. because right. you're not being tested. So right. like, for example, my brother lives in California and he works in an extremely progressive office and most of the, everybody listens to progressive news and blah, blah, blah. Okay. And I lived in Florida for seven years where everything was like as conservative as you can get. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I voted like 89% for George W. Bush in, in the area I was in. Right. And we would talk with each other. Right. And we would think reality was different. Mm-hmm. We weren't even starting from the same premises to even have an argument. Right. Right. 
and he would have these very complicated political discussions because he worked with all like PhD engineers. So they didn't have these like highly emotional conversations about nonsense. They were like reading studies and like dealing with the facts as best as they could understand them. Right. And like analyzing them from a progressive perspective. And so, but there was, there was always even always a tinge of capture there for him and always a tinge of capture there for me. I have completely given up on, on utilizing news as delivered to the public. And I rely exclusively on um, books that are, that are edited and refereed and think tanks. Like I, I will, I will, I'll go to a progressive think tank because even when I'm reading progressive research at a think tank, it's still research and it's still right. getting, it's still within the academic realm and it's getting more scrutiny. Right. And it's not feeding off of human fear and pride. <laughs> like the media yeah. is to get more, views right and what's happening literally today in most now and with the covid stuff like there was some news that we actually had to respond to like in real time Mm -hmm. but but if you think about this in relationship to the rest of your life this is pretty rare usually the news does not matter Mm -hmm. usually the news is just a stream of consciousness to make you angry or make you happy or feel good or feel bad it's not informative because even the news stories that are true aren't put in context in a relationship to the rest of the world or other things. And so you don't know what to do with that data point. It's just a data point. Like it's like sitting out in the middle of nowhere. And so all it does is create an emotional effect on you. Right. Whereas when you read studies, like you go to the think tanks and you read on economics or poverty or tax policy and so on, and you read all that stuff, it's put in the context of research, the larger context, what's mm-hmm. happening over time. And then it's also being criticized by other people. And there's Q and A's that go back and forth and it gets tested. Right. And so you don't get to be in your insular little hive where everybody agrees with you and tells you that you're so brilliant. Right. Which is what happens when you listen to certain news sources and then you talk with other people who listen to those news sources. Mm-hmm. Right. In a place like Madison, you see like bumper stickers like, you know, Fox News brainwashes people and you shouldn't watch it because it's so brainwashing, like those kind of things. But that's that's true of virtually every news mm-hmm. source. Right, even news sources that don't seem partisan, like ABC or NBC, like George Stephanopoulos is on one of my. I can't believe it. I can't remember if it's ABC or NBC. I think it's ABC. Like he was literally a campaign manager for the Clintons. Hmm. Like the idea that he's like, you know, he you know he pretends he's not political, but like literally the voice piece is a Democratic Party operative, right? And most Americans don't know that. Mm-hmm. And so I so I think I so for my life, in order to try to limit capture as much as I can. I've moved completely out of getting news from those realms and I get, I get information and context and information from refereed, less tribal, more cross tested sources so that I don't get all emotionally worked up. Mm-hmm. And so I can deal with stuff that gets tested across lines where people are arguing back and forth. And I think that that's critical for the purposes of love, for the purposes of clarity, for the purposes of context, for a lot of that stuff. And so I think that more Christians could do that. I think it's also good for your mental health. I don't think Mm -hmm. that watching the news and being a news junkie is any better for your mental health than being a teenage girl on Instagram looking at beauty pictures. Mm -hmm. I think it makes people anxious. I think it hurts Mm -hmm. their nervous system. And I think it's bad for their soul. And I would encourage most people to just completely give up on the news until there are different news sources or they're run by different people or they're delivered in mm-hmm. different ways. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that the way profit functions in news through advertising and purchase subscriptions um, is very given to tribalism because there's just not enough consumers that want a non-tribal objective 
approach to news. People want that emotional hit that because because the more complicated the world gets, right, the more you want to believe you understand it. You have to believe like right. on some level, yeah, the world's complicated, but I, I kind of get it. And the problem mm-hmm. is, is that you don't, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't. And not from a political point of view or an economic one, and, mm-hmm. but you really wish you did. And so you want somebody to tell you, look, it's this simple. Those damn Republicans are ruining everything and they're going to kill us all and we have to stop them. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. You know, those, those crazy progressive Democrats are going to destroy everything. They're going to wreck. They're going to destroy our society. They're like barbarians, right? We have to keep them at the mm-hmm. gates. Mm-hmm. That feels so good to the human soul because it feels like you understand what's happening and you know what you should do. And you feel accepted in a tribe. And, and the, and although crises are, um, are disconcerting in a way, you're like, oh, we're in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Crises are focusing. I know what I should do. Mm-hmm. When you don't have that crisis, that what, what William James called the moral equivalent of war, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And that, that is very difficult. But, but mm-hmm. what I would say is that's why you are supposed to have a religion. Right, that's mm-hmm. like that's why you should believe in Jesus because Jesus right. offers a simple view of what's really going on in the world that mm-hmm. doesn't blindly and without reason answer all these other questions for you. Right, right. So Christianity mm-hmm. isn't going to solve the question of who should who you should, who you should vote for next time mm-hmm. without additional thought and information, but it mm-hmm. can tell you what your life means, what's happening in the world where you will ultimately go, where you're ultimately from and the meaning and morality of your life, which is what you need to live. Right. And getting back to the question of whose side is Jesus on? Um, he, it, we, we're going to release a blog on this that Nick wrote. Um, but you said in that blog, Nick, that he's on truth's side. And so right. all this other stuff is very subjective and now even more so insular as well. But that's the object. There's an objective truth to look to, and you're right, Nick. It doesn't give us all the details of our subjective lives, um, but it there is something to look through, and it's everything that we need for right. life and godliness. Yeah, and so when when you say subjective, I want to make sure people understand what, what you mean when you say subjective. Yeah. It doesn't mean that political questions don't matter. They matter a lot. Right. Right. But. They're not as simple as we sometimes think they are, and mm-hmm. they don't always cluster the way they do in our politics. So when mm-hmm. people ask me, do you think do you think Jesus would be a Democrat or Republican? I say, I don't know what you mean. That assumes that the Democratic platform or the Republican platform is coherent, which I don't think they are. Both parties mm-hmm. are coalitions of multiple interests, and their platforms aren't particularly coherent. So, for example, mm-hmm. Democrats are for the little guy except for when the little guy's in the womb. Right. Right. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see how they don't get that right. Right. And Republicans are for the family, except for when the economy wants to create situations for families that are completely unworkable. Then mm-hmm. it's for the economy. Right. right? It's for profit. And, or, and obviously both mm-hmm. of those are probably caricatures and there's, there's lots of these kinds of caricatures, but I think Jesus mm-hmm. would be like, he'd be on the truth side. So when it came to the family, I think he'd be like on the side of the Wisconsin family council. I think he'd look, sound like a conservative. And then when you talked about the poor, there are ways in which I think he would sound like a raz- raving progressive. There, mm-hmm. To Republicans who believe in the structures and close structures of human society, there were times where he'd sound like a bleeding heart liberal who was crazy. And then there would be mm-hmm. times where he would sound so conservative and rule-oriented that mm-hmm. like the, the sort of libertine progressive would feel like he was some kind of religious Nazi. 
Like mm-hmm. Jesus just would not fit. Right. He just wouldn't fit. And he also, would, I don't think, would have a very positive view of government. Mm-hmm. Right. It was the Lord who said, the Lord God who said in Samuel, listen, here's the problem with government is it's going to take the best of everything you have and give mm-hmm. you very little in return. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus would hold the father's view of government that for for all its goods, and it does do some good things, it will it will always be a moral ill. Mm-hmm. It will always be worse than human beings doing the right thing on their own. And the mm-hmm. only reason we have to have government at all is because of the problem of sin, that human beings refuse to know the good and act according to the good, mm-hmm. right? Because in the Bible, God gave the law and a judicial system. Now, mm-hmm. if men were good, even marginally good, that's all they would need, right? The, the law, and then when you have a disagreement about it and you don't understand what should be done, you have a judge who tells you what should be done, and then you just do it. Mm-hmm. And that's how that's how God's people should work. They shouldn't need an executive or legislative branch. God gives a law, you have ju- judges, that's it. Good people would live in prosperity forever, and they didn't. Mm-hmm. It's a huge test of, huge lesson of the Old Testament. Therefore, they needed a government. And mm-hmm. so therefore they needed not just a sacrificial system and a prophet, they needed a king. And God said, when you get a king, you reject me. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. It, the fact that you need a king is proof you rejected me. I don't think that's changed at all in the New Testament. No. I think Jesus would fundamentally still agree with that. And because of that, I think Jesus would say, you need government because the world is so so under the curse. But mm-hmm. but you need to realize that its existence is a proof of your moral depravity and your absolute need of a savior and a new spiritual king and kingdom so that you have a prayer of making this temporal governed kingdom something other than a travesty. Mm-hmm. And so I think what Jesus would say, I think one of the ways I think I can say what I think Jesus would say is he'd say, Americans, you need to put a lot less faith in government and politics. Mm-hmm. way less faith in politics and much less emphasis on government if you want to be healthy as people and if you want to have a robust society and grow and flourish and be fully human. Mm-hmm. You know? That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully that was really helpful to you guys. Feel free to send more questions to us uh, at the podcast at highpointchurch.org email and We'll keep talking about this and other things as well, not just only the coronavirus. But um, we may circle back around to this too, I think, because Mm -hmm. we still didn't, even after an hour, didn't get to the very root of how a church has a political voice. So we'll have to come back to that maybe for a 20 minute or something a little bit later. Great. Yeah, we'll we'll keep talking about this. Um, Send us your questions. And we hope that you are um, holding on to hope during this difficult and confusing time. We love you, and we'll see you next time. listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.